Khalif Browder was a young man from the Bronx, New York, and one night at the age of 16, he was walking home from a party, and he was arrested for allegedly stealing a backpack with valuables in it. And Khalif was mistreated, and he was sent to Rikers Island Jail in New York, which is notoriously one of the most brutal jails for someone to go to. And he was there for three years where he was assaulted and mistreated. But after three years of being there, he was let go because he was found innocent. He was sentenced to pay the crime for something he never committed. And you've probably heard stories like that on social media, documentaries, movies, where, where someone experiences a sentencing of some sort and they go to jail and they experience discipline for something they never committed. And, and that's, that's exactly what's going to happen here in this passage where we see that Jesus is sentenced to be crucified from Pontius Pilate. Yet, he never committed a single sin. When we hear stories of Khalif Browder, or when we examine society, and we see an ever-deepening division and polarization, we wonder, we sometimes wonder, we question God's authority. God, where are you? If you're so big and powerful and strong, why, don't, why didn't you prevent that from happening? If you're so big and powerful and strong, God, how come you don't step in right now? Our minds tend to wonder about God's interaction in the universe, and that might make us a little bit suspicious of his authority. But if there's anything that we can understand or learn from the, the cross of Christ, him being crucified is that God can bring out something good even in the most evil situations. And in God's perfect timing, we're ending the Gospel of John right around Easter time. And my prayer for us as a church, as we go through Good Friday, as we go through Easter, as we close this epic Gospel story, is, not, is, that, is that our hearts would be awakened afresh to the good news of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. This is the foundation of our faith. This is essential. Uh, may we never lose the wonder and awe that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we find ourselves ending chapter 18 in John's gospel and now going into 19. It's the last week of Jesus' life. Actually, it's the last day, Friday, April 3rd. It's morning time. Peter, one of his disciples, already denies Jesus three times. Jesus has his informal hearing with Annas and Caiaphas. And, and now there's a, a showdown with the wishy-washy Pontius Pilate. When I say Pontius Pilate, I'm not talking about someone who flies an airplane. His name is Pontius Pilate. That was just his name. He was the governor of Judea. Just had a really big you know, power and authoritative role. And uh, in some sense, from an earthly perspective, he had the power to determine what to do with Jesus. And, and there's a showdown going on, and there's actually a lot of political, emotional baggage behind the scenes. 
And the story starts with a true story that actually happened in history of Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, speaking to a crowd. And Pilate says, you, you have a custom that we release someone during the Passover. And that word custom there is interesting because uh, Pilate, this was, this was a tradition, this was a custom, this wasn't a law. This was something that they made up, and Pilate was going through with it anyway. And Pilate says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And that, that would have irritated the crowd because these were the chief priests and the Jewish elite, and they wanted to see Christ crucified. And it says, they cried out, again, not this man, but Barabbas. When it says they there, it's important to see that... Um, you know, when Jesus came in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, people were saying, Hosanna, 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 you, you, you're awesome, you save, you're amazing. And then here it's Friday, people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. I've heard a lot of people say over the years that that was the same crowd, and sort of to make this illustration, look how fickle people are. On Friday, they're this way, but on Sunday, they were a different way. It's actually two different crowds. The crowd that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, were Galilean pagans who believed in Jesus, most of them did. This is the, the chief priest, the religious elite, the Jewish crowd. This is totally, totally different people. And they're crying out, Barabbas, release him. Uh, here, here's some irony in the story, if you want to hear some irony. There's irony all over the, for, the, the Gospel of John. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Jesus is the ultimate son of the father. Barabbas means son of father. Jesus is the son of God. Look at the irony here. Barabbas, he was an insurrectionist, which means uh, someone who committed murder during a riot. You know, so like a looting situation, a rioting situation, and it gets out of hand. He was a bandit kind of person, um, a, a murderer, Mark's gospel says. He's guilty, clearly, and the crowd knew that. Here's Jesus, the son of the Father, the son of God, never committed a sin and has zero political agenda whatsoever. Who do you want me to release to you? The crowd says they want Barabbas. They want Barabbas. Pilate is confused by this, and he's like, wait, what? And so he needs a moment to think. So he, so he has Jesus flogged. Verse 1 in chapter 19 which was inappropriate and a misuse of power because Jesus wasn't convicted of anything. So to have him flogged right then and there was already an act of injustice. And there's um, three different kinds of flogging or scourging. If you've ever watched like The Passion of the Christ or um, any kind of movie in which um, the, they show the person being crucified, being, being beaten, hurt. There's three different levels. Um, the severe one that you think about with the wooden handles and the pieces of metal and bone, that probably came after the sentencing to be crucified. This one was probably more of the, the lighter scourging, the lighter beating. Because what Pilate was trying to do was like, you guys are out of your mind. You want me to release this criminal Barabbas, not Jesus. He clearly looks innocent. To appease you, to try to get your sympathy, we'll just do a light flogging first, although it still would have been very painful. And I'll gain your sympathy. And so Jesus is going to be flogged and scourged. And the Roman soldiers, it said it, they put together a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
and they arrayed him in a purple robe. Purple was the color of royalty. They are not showing respect to Jesus. They are mocking him. They're saying, you're you're the king. You're supposed to be some savior. You're supposed to be some god. Here's a purple robe. It's royalty. You say you're royalty, right? And a a crown of thorns as well. They're They're not honoring him as king. They're mocking him. And they say things like, hail, king of the Jews. And they, they struck him, the ESV says. The verb there in the uh, original language in imperfect means they repeatedly struck him. So this wasn't a one-time, oh, I'll strike you on the face. This was a repeated beating, smacking, hitting, mocking. This is how they're treating God. Mocking him. And uh, this mocking isn't, isn't new in the, in the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, the first part of the verse says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. People mock Jesus during his ministry, and people do so today. You have atheists, people who don't believe in God, people who write books to tell you you shouldn't believe in Jesus. People who tell you that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. People who tell you, yes, you can believe in Jesus, but you can also believe in whatever else you want and what's true for you is what's true for me. Jesus being mocked here is not something that's new to him. He's been mocked for over 2,000 years. And despite clear evidence of his authority and reign and God revealing himself to all people through their conscience and through creation and through other ways, many still continue to deny Jesus and continue to not put their faith in him. So this, this happened, this sort of mockery, 2,000 years ago, but it still happens today. And so Pilate goes back into the situation after Jesus experiences this mistreatment, this mocking from men. And Pilate says to the crowd, he's having this dialogue with them, he says, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He brings Jesus out and he says, behold the man. Like, look at the poor fellow. Look what those guys did to him. Isn't this enough for you? Purple robe on, crown of thorns, blood everywhere. Pilate is like, come on guys, what what do you mean release Barabbas? This should be enough to appease you. I had him flogged, what more do you want? And then the chief priests and the officers were not happy with this, and they would yell out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate would say, you crucify him, you, you do it. He was, he was mocking them, because he knew that they didn't have the power to do it. He was using sarcasm. So there was this, this emotional baggage going on, because Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus, and the crowd doesn't like Jesus, and they want him crucified. But the crowd also didn't like Pilate either. Because Pilate got to his high ranks because someone else, one of his friends, who got him into that position, but he died a couple years ago. And Pilate was known to be sort of harsh and rude. And this guy named Caesar was ahead of Pilate. And the crowds would have said to, and we see this later in the passage, hey, if you don't do what we want, we might go tell Caesar on you and you might lose your job. So Pilate is going through a lot of emotional turmoil. He, 
Is Jesus God? Is he the son of God? He seems innocent. But the crowds are begging for crucifixion. But he knows that he might lose his job. So he's in this situation of, do I, do I please God or do I please man? And, and we'll talk about this more with crucifixion as Good Friday comes and Easter and so forth. But crucifixion um, isn't new to Jesus. He wasn't the only one who was crucified. Uh, thousands of people were crucified in the first century. The person was, uh, experienced public shame. And it was the worst form of execution. And they died likely from shock or just the bad beating from scourging or flogging. Sometimes the criminal, the person would die before even getting to their cross. And this form of execution was reserved for the lowest kind of criminals in society. Where they were stripped, tied to a post, and beaten by Roman soldiers who were torture experts. They were beaten with short wooden handles that had pieces of metal and lumps and lead and pieces of bone. And hanging suspended by one's arms uh, caused difficulty breathing. And the only way to sort of help yourself when you're hanging there is to push off on your feet. The problem is that there was a nail in Jesus' feet too. And when he pushed off with his feet, that would have brought excruciating pain to his back and his arms. There was really no way to get comfortable. There was no way to not experience the pain. It was utterly, almost unbearable. And so Pilate is frustrated with the crowd because he's like, guys, I've got more power than you. You brought him to me. Here's my judgment. I had him flogged. Let's let him go. But the crowd is saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's picking up more and more and more. Sometimes people say, I've heard this said a lot, you know, where is this country going? Or is this generation, it's slipping. I've, I've never seen things this bad before in my lifetime. And, and I can understand that, you know, culturally and generationally, maybe we don't always understand one another. Maybe my generation thinks differently than yours and yours mine. But the truth be told is that we all, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God just looks differently. Every generation has issues with authority and not wanting to submit to authority. The crowds, the chief priests, the, the Jewish elite, they, they're not baby boomers. They're not generation X, generation Y. They don't even have a name. This was 2,000 years ago. And they wanted to get God killed. Sin is not sort of a new 21st century thing. It didn't just start with social media. It didn't just start in the past 10 years. Uh, Things have always been sort of out of whack ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. It's, It's always been really bad since then. It just has looked different. And the good news of Easter and Good Friday is that Jesus is going to later die on the cross in our place for sins and rise from the dead. And things right now aren't the way they, they're supposed to be. We, we groan. We have a lot of hard things that happen to us on a regular basis. We, we don't always understand God's ways in our life. But we know that for those who belong to Jesus, who have put their faith and trust in him, one day he's coming back for his people. And he will, he will make everything new. And there will be no sin ever again. 
So it's hard right now, but for those who trust in Jesus, we have hope. We have hope. That's what this whole Easter and the cross is about for those who have trusted in Jesus. We don't have all our answers. We don't have all our answers to our questions that we have, but we have hope through Christ. And here in this passage, Pilate is saying, I've got the power. You're not listening to me. The Jewish crowd is pretty general. Crucify him. Crucify him. But now they get more specific. Verse 7, they said, we have a law. And according to that law, he, that is Jesus, ought to, be, ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So Jesus, throughout the whole book of John's gospel, we've, we've said this almost every Sunday. The point, he's God. Tell people about him. That's the whole point of the gospel of John, to sum it up. So his divinity, divinity means he's God, fully God, fully man, is everywhere in the gospel of John. He shows it through his words, but also through his actions as well. And throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus would declare himself to be God. Why? Because he is God. That's why he said that. But for the religious leaders, they were like, no, you're not God. Look, you just said you're God. Our law says, this is from the book of Leviticus, you should die. That's what it says. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16 it says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So the Jewish leaders are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got this book called the law. There's this book called Leviticus. There's a lot of rules. It says if you say you're God, we should kill you. If you said you're God, you should die. So that's where they're coming from. But the thing they miss is the clear principle that Jesus can say that because he's actually God. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement that the Jews are saying he said he was God, says this, quote, he was even more afraid. It suddenly dawns on Pilate halfway through this dialogue. Oh! <gasps> wait, this might be God after all. Pilate has no idea in the beginning of the conversation who, who Jesus really is. Now halfway through, oh no, what if this is the Son of God? I have the power right now to determine this. What am I going to do? In Matthew's Gospel, his wife his wife has a dream, and it records Matthew twenty-seven nineteen. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. God is, I would say, that my interpretation is that God is speaking to Pilate's wife. Like, don't do it. Have nothing to do with him. Giving him every opportunity to do the right thing. So Pilate is more afraid. This, this could be the son of God. So he's like, okay, I talked to the crowds. I'm going to go talk to Jesus again. Let me gather more information before I make a decision. So let me gather more information, ask Jesus more questions. Goes to Jesus, verse 9. Where are you from? Jesus gives no answer. It's not rude to ignore people sometimes. It's not rude to 
not text back, not email back, not call back. Certainly that, that, that is a stretch here. But the reason why Jesus is being silent is because Pilate just wouldn't understand even if he explained it to him in common sense language. So he preserves his energy to focus on the cross. And he does it to fulfill prophecy in some sense. Because in Isaiah it says, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, Most people in that situation, when you have this huge antagonism of the crowd wanting to get you crucified, and someone who has power to help you, and they're like, where are you from? What did you do? Sort of questions. Most people would be doing everything they can to get out of the situation. Like, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. I promise I didn't do anything wrong. You don't see, you don't see any of that in Jesus here. He's silent. Trusting in God, even in his deepest pain, in his darkest hour. You know, part of what it means to be a Christian is to learn how to suffer silently. Just to be abundantly clear, you know, cases of sexual abuse and physical abuse need to be reported to the cops and authorities immediately, right away. But for milder forms of suffering, when you feel misunderstood by family, when someone gossips about you because they're jealous of you, when a boss promises a promotion but gives it to someone else, When a boss micromanages you or takes credit for work you did. When you're dealing with authority figures like parents and grandparents or others and they mistreat you in a slight way. It can be very difficult and it could be the desire to want to retaliate is in all of us to some degree. And sometimes wisdom says speak up, fight for yourself. Don't be a doormat, speak up for yourself. Sometimes uh, wisdom says, you know, I'm not going to say anything this time. And I'm, I'm going to let my reputation sort of hang in the air. I'm, I'm going I'm to focus on my character, my godliness, be faithful to God, and let the chips fall where they may. And sometimes I'm going to speak up and fight for myself because this isn't fair and this isn't right. And I'm created in the image of God and I need to be treated with value, dignity, and respect. But other times, like the Lord Jesus, we need to learn how to suffer silently and trust God, even in some of our milder forms of pain. I want to encourage you to memorize a passage like parts of 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 23, 24. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God is the ultimate judge, and nobody gets away with anything. And the peace of mind that the Christian has is that sometimes we can suffer silently and entrust the judgment to God.
like what Jesus does here. Jesus gives Pilate the silent treatment and it, that irritates Pilate a little bit. I find that very entertaining and amusing for me. I really enjoy this verse. Jesus is, doesn't say anything. And then Pilate gets mad. He says, you will not speak to me? Like, you're not going to talk to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Like, I, I got the power to decide your fate right here. Don't you realize that? You're not going to say anything to me? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you, Judas, Caiaphas, either one, 50-50 shot, we don't know. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What, what Jesus is telling Pilate is like, yeah, you, you have earthly power, but you realize that that is from God. And, and, and all of us, if not most of us in the room, have some sort of authority given from God. Like, if you're a parent, in some sense, you represent God to your, parent, to your children. Uh, principals and teachers and grandparents, pastors as well, politicians, government officials. In some sense, for all of us, there are people under our power, varying degrees of power, and the, the purpose of God giving authority, we don't like that word in our culture that much. We, we don't like the word power. We're very skeptical of institutions, and we're very skeptical of people who have credentials in some sort because we think everyone should have the power, but that would lead to chaos if there was no sort of structure of reporting to people or having some sort of structure in the family, structure in the church, structure in politics. There, there needs to be some who have more power than others. It will be a complete mess if it wasn't. And this, this authority, this power that God has entrusted to you is to help those under you flourish. To help them flourish. People who work for you or work with you, doesn't mean you don't discipline. It doesn't mean you don't call people out on things. That's, that's part of having authority but we, we do those things, we say those hard things because we love those people and we want what's best for them, not because we're trying to be rude. So, so the call for us as, as those who have some sort of varying degree of authority from God is to use that authority to help those under us flourish in some way. It's, it's really hard to obey authority sometimes. It, something in us wants to, to react I read an illustration of a disciplinary situation between a parent and a child. And the little boy, after finally, he, he resisted the, the parents telling them, sit down, sit down, sit down. And the little boy finally sat down after resisting his parents' request. But when he sat down, the boy said to his parents, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Something in us just said, oh, I don't, I don't want this to happen. And, and we fail in many ways in all of our roles. And that's why we need to remember that Christ did not. And his perfection is on display even in the words that he says. And after telling Pilate, you have no authority unless God's given to you, which is a very bold thing to say. Pilate is still trying to get him released and the Jews cry out, if you don't do this, you're not a friend of Caesar. 
You're not a friend of Caesar. There's that touchy subject again. Caesar has power over Pilate. The Jews know that. Pilate doesn't release Jesus. They're going to go tell Caesar. Caesar can remove his power. So Pilate is in this situation where his wife's telling him, stop, 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 stop. Where Jesus is giving no indication that he did anything wrong. But he doesn't want to lose his power. He doesn't want to lose his prestige. He's got people yelling at him publicly. And so in one more final attempt, Pilate goes to talk to Jesus again. And he sits down on a place called the Stone Pavement. Which is another irony because Pilate sits down and tries to talk to Jesus and like trying to judge the situation. But literally does he know that one day all people will, will have to answer to Jesus who's going to judge everyone for things we said and did. So another irony in the story is Pilate's going to, hey, let me, let, me, let me sit down and talk to you here. I'm the judge. Let me talk to you. Actually, no, Jesus is the judge, and one day you'll have to give an account to him. The irony continues, and so finally, Pilate doesn't want to give Jesus up. He doesn't want to do it. Not yet. Verse 14, he says, behold your king to the crowd. Again, being sarcastic, again, trying to stick it to them, so to speak. And yet Pilate didn't realize that what he was saying was actually true because he never put his faith in Christ, as far as we know, and the crowd certainly did not either. In his commentary on John, D.A. Carson writes, The long-awaited king of the Jews stood before them, and they did not recognize him. That really irritates the crowd. They start yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, really loud. And they say, we have no God but Caesar, which is a bizarre statement. They, they actually change allegiances halfway through the commotion. Because they, they knew better that they had no God but Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And so now they're saying, we have no God but Caesar. They're being hypocritical and they're trying to, to point on that touchy issue with Pilate. And eventually, verse 16, Pilate gives up and he gives in. And he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. You know, before studying for this passage and reading the commentaries and study Bibles and looking at this, I, I really wondered, what do we do with Pilate here? Because he, he doesn't seem all that bad. I mean, he does in some sense, but others seem to be worse. He's, he's, he's trying to not get Jesus crucified. He's, he's not being belligerent like the crowd. He seems to be one foot in and one foot out. But I think Pilate is a good example of those who are interested more in sort of going with the crowd than they are in recognizing who God is and, and living for, for him. The uh, fact of the matter is, is that Pilate is, is guilty and he did the wrong thing. Andres Kostenberger, in his book on the final days of Jesus, he writes... Despite all of Pilate's efforts to exonerate himself and to profess his innocence regarding Jesus' death, the fact remains that he was responsible. The whole terrible affair occurred under his jurisdiction and oversight. Pilate shows here a lack of courage, more concerned about his own job than doing what's right, believing in Jesus. Hey, if you lose your job and 
hey, but this is the Son of God. You have eternal life. He was more politically charged. In Mark's gospel, he says that he gave Jesus over because he was wanting to satisfy the crowd. There, there's going to be many, many times, many occasions, especially as we keep going in the 21st century, where there's going to be more opposition towards the church and more opposition to the Christian faith. And we're already seeing organizations and people fold and give in and give up. It's essential that as there's increased hostility in this country towards the Christian faith, that those who believe in Jesus, trust in him, seek to obey him and do what the word of God says, even if it costs you your job or your life. There's a company out there called Hebrew National, and they sell 100% kosher beef hot dogs. And they're really passionate about their hot dogs. Uh, it says that they make premium cuts, 100% kosher beef. They're really, really into this. And on their, their company slogan, it says uh, the reason why they go out of their way to do the right thing with the meat they produce is, it says, we answer to a higher authority. And the same thing with the church, with Christians, is that we answer to a higher authority. And we know that God's hand somehow was behind Jesus being crucified. Because he would go and die and rise from the dead. And now something good came out of this evil, horrible situation that you and I, that the people of God, can be made right with God through believing and trusting in Jesus. So even when our personal lives and our society and our culture seem so bleak and dark, this passage teaches us that God can bring good out of evil. And that Christians, those who have trusted in Christ, need to obey God as their highest authority, not necessarily what the crowd say. Let's pray. Jesus, what you have done for us is truly amazing. The shame, the beating, the embarrassment. Lord, I know my love for you increased this week just studying this passage. So thankful that you allowed me to get really serious about this text and proclaim it today. I'm just so thankful, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that throughout this Good Friday and throughout the Resurrection Sunday and pray, God, there's some people in here who have been walking with you for whole lives. They've heard messages on the cross and resurrection 60, 70, 80 times, hundreds of times. Lord, I just pray for all of us that you would just awaken us anew to these very familiar stories, Lord. May they never become over-familiar to where we roll our eyes at them. Help us to be awakened by the Spirit of God that we may praise you forever for the work that you've done in Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.